0: We have taken two months from Ephesians chapter 3 to get here. It has been a long time. Uh, We spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 3. And then we had Palm Sunday and Easter, and then Jay Nelson came and preached last week. And so we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4. We've actually been talking about it a lot in the last few sermons as well. Uh, We're going to look at at, uh, verses 1 through 6. If you're in the Red Bible, it's page 977 in the Red Bible. So we are in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to just dive right in. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Let's read together. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. God, as we come to your holy righteous and perfect word we confess to you. We come with hearts that are distracted, hearts that are uh, set on other things, maybe later in the day, God. And yet I pray by your grace that we could be present, that we could hear your word preached to us this morning. Lord, this is one of those sermons that people might feel like they're being singled out because it applies so directly to our lives. Lord, pray that we would know that that is the Holy Spirit speaking to us and transforming us, God. May we live according to what you have laid out in your word, by your grace and for your glory. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So have you guys calmed down after the royal wedding? Have you gotten over it yet? I don't know if you have heard about the royal wedding. Um, The only way you couldn't is if you don't have a TV. Probably the most publicized wedding in the history of the world would be my guess. The way that it was on all the TV stations and all over the internet. It was the marriage of Prince William and Miss Kate Middleton. What you may not know about Miss Kate Middleton is Miss Kate Middleton doesn't come from royalty. And so this is somewhat of an odd wedding. Kate was actually born, uh, both her parents were flight attendants. Uh, who ended up going on, and they, they started a party supply store and made lots of money. They sent her off to a good college where her and Prince William met, and they became college sweethearts. And then they dated for 10 years, which is a long dating relationship, and figured before our teeth fall out, we should probably get married. So they got married about a week or two ago. And, uh, and when, when Kate said, I do, to Prince William... Everything changed. She was no longer the daughter of two flight attendants. She was no longer Miss Kate Middleton. She was actually now to be noticed as Her Royal Highness, the Duchess of Cambridge. Her identity changed instantly. And with it came all of these blessings and all of these privileges of being royalty. But with that also came... Different responsibilities of those privileges and of those responsibilities because her identity has changed. Paul takes the first three chapters of Ephesians to tell us, to remind us, Christians, of who we now are in Jesus Christ. To remind us that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ, all of them at once to us in Christ. That God has torn down the dividing wall of hostility between us and Him and between us and each other and because all of these things are true of you because you are the bride of christ because you are his beloved this is how you shall now live ephesians 4 1 starts with paul saying i therefore whenever we see in the scriptures the word therefore a great question to ask is what is the therefore therefore and so we ask that question thank you for laughing yeah What is the therefore, therefore? And what therefore means is because of what was just covered, because the things that I said in chapters 1 through 3, because those things are true, this is how you now live as a consequence. Because you are the bride of Christ. This is actually something very important seen throughout Scripture that what God calls us to do is always rooted in what is true, what God has done for us. And so Paul t- spends the first three chapters reminding of uh, us of what is true, that we might live in light of those realities. And he uncovers those in chapters 4 through 6. And so what we're going to do, we're actually going to walk through verse 1, because it is fleshed out in verses 2 through 6. First, we're going to look and see what does it mean to walk in a manner as a Christian. What does it mean to walk as a Christian? I think of this the Aerosmith song you know, walk this way, right? It's a different type of walking than that, all right? It's it's a very different sway, all right? But we'll see in verses two through three how Paul tells us how we would walk in the manner of Christ, being a Christian. And then we're going to look at the the last part of verse one where it says, worthy of the calling which you have been called, which is kind of confusing, and we'll, we'll explore that in verses four through six. So first, let's look at what it means to walk in, In a manner as becoming a christian when in the bible it talks about walking what it means is living how do you live your life what paths do you choose as you're walking down the corridor of life and so paul is telling us to live life in a certain way he's urging us to now as i had mentioned he spent the first three chapters telling us what is true of those who trust in jesus christ and now he's going to look at how do we live in response to that What does it look like to live as a Christian? And so if I asked you the question, what does it look like to live as a Christian, how would you respond to that? What would be the things you would say it would look like to live like a follower of Christ? Maybe you would say, well, that means that you pray a lot, which is true. You would say you go to church, which is good. You would read the Bible. You would be generous to homeless. You would help the needy. All of those things are absolutely true, and they are right, but this is not Paul's priority. Look with me in verse 2, what Paul says it means to walk like a Christian. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. He is talking about the local church, the church that they are in in Ephesus. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Pastor Paul's top priority is that there would be unity in the church, that there would be tranquility in the church, even in the midst of conflict. You may have seen this video on the internet. Um, I don't; It's probably all over, but there is this group on an African safari, and one of the guys has his video camera, and you can tell they're kind of in these trucks because you can see the top of the truck and the bottom of the frame of the video. And he is videotaping across this little lake. And across this lake, there are these buffalo. Uh, They don't look like American buffaloes. They kind of look like longhorns. um, But it's in Africa, so they call them buffalo. And these buffalo, these four buffalo, are walking around the backside of this lake. And as they're walking around, there there are three adults and one calf. As they're walking along, they come upon these tigers that are sleeping. And the tigers hear them coming and they wake up and they start coming towards them. And then they get in that prouncing position, you know, with their nose down to the ground and their rear ends high up. And they're looking and they're waiting to see what's going to happen. And then the the buffalo see the lions and they stop. And so they have this staring match for about 30 seconds. And you're sitting there wondering what is going to happen? What's going to happen? And see, both of these animals have one of two decisions. And really, they only have two decisions. Fight or flight, right? That's their two choices. Will they fight or will they flee? Well, after about 20 seconds, you see the tigers take off. And so they decide to fight. And so the buffalo decide to flight. They decide to flee. And they start running away. And the tigers come and they they tackle the calf into the lake. And they're there and you see them surrounding the calf, all four of them with their heads bobbing, uh, probably chewing, uh, things like that. And as they start to take this calf out of the water, this is no joke, an alligator comes <laughs> and bites the back end of this calf. And so you have these, these tigers or lions um, pulling on one end and you have these, this alligator pulling on the other. And after about 30 seconds of struggle, the lions rip him away. And they take them back up, and they surround them again, and you see their heads bobbing. And then pans into the picture all of these buffalo, about 100, who came to fight. Well, the lions then decided to fight. They decided to flee. And the amazing part of it is the baby buffalo gets up and goes back into the herd and is completely fine. You can check it out. Just type in buffalo alligator and, uh, yeah, just Google it. The reason why I bring that up is because in the church of Jesus Christ, we usually resort to one of two options, fight or flight. Whenever there's disagreement in the church, we could fight. Some of you are more prone to that. I'm more prone towards flight. But we would fight. We get angry. We get mad. Our face gets red. We enter into these verbal boxing matches trying to destroy the opponent to make sure that they know that we are right. That we are true. And so we enter into this to, to fight, to battle. The other option is that we flight. And this is much more my tendency, which I have to repent of. That maybe you're a part of a church and there's someone in the church who has offended you and you can't forgive them. You need to go and talk to them. But instead of going and talking to them, you just carry a fist in your pocket and you avoid them around church. Many people. Love megachurches because they can avoid the people they don't like. They can flee from any sort of intimacy or problems. Another way that we see flight is simply that people would just leave the church, right? They would never deal with the issue. They would deal with the issue by just standing up and walking out. They would never have a discussion with the person that they're frustrated with, the person that has hurt them or offended them, and so they just flee. You know, it's it's funny because I get to meet with many of you and I hear stories often of growing up how your parents bounced around from church to church to church to church to church and how that has wounded you how you were never able to really connect with friends because you were always bouncing from church to church one of you uh, I won't say his name but has been baptized like five or seven times because every church he goes to they want to baptize him again and it's because we want to flee any sort of conflict You know, with a crowd this size, there is a great chance that there are some of you here who want to flee Jacob's well, Uh, not for good reasons, but because there is someone who has rubbed you the wrong way, someone who has offended you or frustrated you, and instead of dealing with that relationship, you just want to take off. Well, animals have two decisions, fight or flight. But we are not animals. We are people created in the image of God. And as Christians, we are redeemed and we know the love of God. And Paul gives us a third option. And I'm just gonna simply call it the gospel response because this is how Jesus Christ treats us when we are annoying, when we are frustrating, when we are selfish, when we are sinful. And so Paul lays out here a gospel response for working through difficult times in the church difficult times with people in the church. And so let's look at this gospel response. We see it here in verse two. We see first off that the gospel response includes walking in humility towards one another. Walking in towards one another in humility means that we put the other's interests in front of our own. I love how it's defined in Philippians two three. I believe it's up here for you. Philippians two three is a definition of humility for us. It says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So humility is not rivalry. It's not drawing lines. It's not trying to prove that you're right. It's not trying to win the battle. And it says also not in conceit, not vainglory, that you would win for your own promotion, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I love this because it's not saying that they are more significant than you. Certainly we are all all significant in God's eyes, but you're counting their agenda. You're counting their purposes more highly than your own. You are attributing to them a positive emphasis. You are thinking of them above yourself And so this is what humility is. I love a a simple definition that I love is humility is not thinking less of yourself like you're nothing, but it's thinking of yourself less. And so you're thinking of others and loving others. And so a gospel response includes walking in humility, also walking in gentleness to come to each other, not in anger, not maliciously, not in a verbal boxing match, as we said, but gently. To walk in patience, not needing an immediate resolution. You know, when you are loving somebody through a difficulty, to get angry is, is wanting a very immediate response. To come and to fight and to get it over and to go on with your lives, But to come with a gospel response is to love that person for the long haul, knowing that whatever sin is in their life, whatever thing is frustrating you will take a long time to change. And loving them. For the long haul, patiently, he goes on to talk about bearing one another with love, uh, bearing with one another in love, enduring with, putting up with, in love. You know, so often it's easy to be easily offended, and Paul's calling us here: do not be easily offended. Forgive quickly, endure with people, love them, stay with them for the long haul. And then he goes on to say, walk eagerly to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So be eager to pursue unity in the church. Be eager to pursue peace in the church. When I uh, when I worked with youth ministry, I received an email from a mother, and I'm going to be summarizing it because it was about five pages long. But the email more or less said, I don't like youth group because you are undercutting my husband's responsibility to be the spiritual leader of the home, all right? In a long email, that's kind of what she said. It was much more detailed than that. And so, you know, I responded to that email saying, number one, um, you don't have to send your kid to youth group, right? (laughs) That's your option, not mine. But number two, uh, if your husband isn't leading the home spiritually, it's not because I have your kid for one hour a week telling them about Jesus. It's because what's happening all the other hours of the week, Now, was I right? I think I was. But I didn't do it with a gospel response. It doesn't matter if I was right or if I was wrong, because I did not do it how Christ has treated me. I was certainly not doing it in humility or gentleness or patience. I just wanted to win the battle. And because of that, I almost lost the war. I almost lost a relationship with this family. But by God's grace, we got together together. We talked through it, we forgave one another, and we moved forward. You see, sometimes it's not so important that you communicate everything that's right as much as it is how you do it. How do you communicate what is true? Do you do it with humility, with gentleness, and with patience, loving those that are around you? For me, I know when somebody steps on my toes, when somebody does something that frustrates me, often I have to take a few days. I have to go away and I have to pray and say, Lord, please help me to come to this person patiently and lovingly with humility because I just want to pounce on them, right? But Paul calls us to some to a higher standard. Not to fight, not to flight, but to walk towards one another in love. That is the gospel response that he calls us to. Now, if you have been alive for any amount of time, you know that the gospel response is the hardest way to respond to conflict. It is so much easier to fight, right? It is so much easier to flee or to ignore the conflict. It is so much harder to engage in love and talk with this person. So the question is, why would we choose the hardest path? Why would we choose the path in which we would engage with one another and we would share with them what's going on in our heart and see what's going on in their heart and and aim to resolve it in love, and patience, and in gentleness. And the reason is, as Paul says here in verse 1, is because it is a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Because this is who you now are in Jesus Christ. Your identity has changed. You no longer have to fight or flight. You now know the good news of Jesus Christ. You can now act that way towards those around you. Paul says uh, again in verse 4, he uses these terms, both in verse 1 and verse 4. He says, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And so Paul uses this phrase, and it's kind of confusing, but he says that we have been called to a calling. We've been called to a calling. What, what in the world does that mean? <laughs> well, theologians have a term that they like to use to explain it, and it's called effectual calling effectual calling. You can use this at parties. You don't need to tell them you got it from me. Just impress them. It's okay. It's effectual. Thank you for laughing again. Uh, Effectual calling. It's always effectual. It always has an effect, and it is a calling. God has called you. It's like being called to a banquet, and so it's an effectual calling. God is turning your heart towards himself. He is calling you. He is wooing you back to himself. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a summary of of what the Bible says, actually defines it in a very helpful way for us. It says, Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills. He does persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. We see this actually in Ezekiel 36 when God promises to take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And what he does is he's given us a heart that can now see our sin, see the horror of it, but also see the beauty of Christ and turn and run to him. One of my favorite parts of my job, possibly the favorite part of my job, is meeting with people. I love breaking bread, asking people their story, hearing what God has done or is doing in their life. This week I got to meet with Drew, and Drew and I sat down at uh, in Seymour, Wisconsin, at the plaza, right, the plaza, um, and we, so we sat down at the plaza, just kind of, you know, finding out each other's story, and Drew told me about how he had gone to church all his life, but as he got older, he started to get involved, and I asked Drew if I could share this, but he started to get involved in the cult and in, in sorcery, is that right, sorcery, or? Witchcraft, things of that nature, things that are just very dark, running away from God. And one day he was sitting in his house, in his living room, and he heard an audible voice say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And so Drew got up and he went to check the room behind him to see if somebody was there. And then he realized that it was the voice of God calling to him wooing him back to himself. And Drew talks about how he went on and went into this fantastic time of prayer because he had realized once again all the ways that God had been loving him and pursuing him and wooing him. And finally, God was calling him back to himself. All of us who trust in Christ have experienced the effectual calling of God. It probably did not look like that. It probably was not an audible voice, but the content was the same. It was God saying to us, what are you doing? Come back to me. I am what your heart longs for. I am what your soul longs for. You will never find contentment anywhere but in me. Come back to me. And so Paul tells us that God has all called us. He has called his church back to himself. And because God has called us to himself, because we are his bride, we now live in a different way. We now respond with a gospel response. In this passage in verse 4, It says, just as you were called to the one hope. What is that one hope? What is the hope that we were called to? Well, the hope that we were called to is that the Trinitarian God sent Jesus. And at the cross, this Trinity was disunified. That it was separated. At the cross, Jesus took on all of our anger all of our vainglory, all of our selfishness, all of the times that we lacked gentleness, all the time that we lacked patience, he takes all the sin upon us. And you know what he did? Jesus did not fight it, nor did he flee. But Jesus walked in love, carrying the cross to Calvary to pay for our sin, not in part, but the full. And at the cross, he shouts out to God, my God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Trinity, which was united for all eternity, was now divided so that you and I could once be united to God. You see, when Christ rose from the dead, we were united to him in his resurrection. But he was also reunited to his heavenly father so that all of us could be reunited to him in Christ. And so Jesus died that we might experience union and unity with God, but also unity with each other. And that is the hope that Paul says we have been called to. The hope that Christ has come and died for our sins to unit, unite us to God and to unite us to one another. And so, the reason why unity in the church, the reason why it's so important to have a gospel response to those in the church, is because we serve a God of unity. We have a faith of unity, a faith of oneness, a God of of oneness. Look with me if you would in verse 4. Seven times Paul illustrates that we are a part of a unified oneness. He says there is one body, speaking of the church, and one spirit, the Holy Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, the Christian faith, one baptism, one God, not many, just one, and Father of all, who is over all in authority, through all in power, and in all by his indwelling in the church. And so through these verses, Paul is emphasizing, you have a union between you. You have a glue between you. You guys are united. But one of the things I love about this is Paul also is showing that there, while there is a un- unity, while there is a oneness, there is also a great diversity. You look at God. There is one God. But there are various persons. There is a great plurality in the Godhead of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There is one faith, but there are many dimensions, many aspects to it. There is the calling, there is the hope, there is the adoption, and the list goes on and on. And there is one church, and we are united. We are one, but we are extremely diverse. We have different gifts, we have different talents, we have different passions as we'll see in the the upcoming verses next week this doesn't mean we all have to listen to the same music doesn't mean we have to mat wear matching sweaters although that would be cool but it means that we are united in jesus christ now paul he urges us i'll kind of conclude with this paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling He calls us to walk with one another and towards one another with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to pursue unity in the church. But he also says that this is because you have been called, that you are responding to your calling. You are living according to who you now are in Jesus Christ, because we are one body and there is one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. Now, there is something very important that undergirds this whole passage as to why we can work towards unity, why we can maintain unity in the church. And it's extremely important. It is this He does not call us to build unity, He does not call us to look forward to unity. You see, here in verse 3, He says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You see, all of us are united. All who trust in Christ, we are united through the Holy Spirit as we are united to Jesus Christ. We are united to each other. We are one body with Christ as the head. And so we are united whether we want to be or not. No matter what church people go to, throughout history, we are united to all who trust in Jesus Christ. And he tells us to maintain that unity with a bond of peace. Uh, My mom, I have to throw her in sometime today because it's Mother's Day. My mom gave birth to five children, all right? I was the youngest of five kids. And whether we act like it or not, we have a unity. We are brother and sister, Ricky, Tammy, Scotty, Kimmy, and Danny. That's right, that's our names. But we are united, to one another. Through our mom, through our dad, we have one blood flowing through us. And it was through her suffering through birth that we are united. What a picture of the gospel. We are united through the suffering of Jesus Christ. And when my family gets together and over Thanksgiving and we wrestle and we play cards and we walk and we talk, what are we doing? We're building the unity of peace. We are building the bond of peace towards unity. We are maintaining the unity that is already there. You see, here is the calling of Paul. And I'll end with this. The calling of Paul is that you would just be yourself. That's all he wants. He wants you to maintain the unity that we already have in Jesus Christ. And so I would encourage you as things come up, as people step on your toes, as the family of Jacob's well grows closer and closer and closer, that you would respond to each other with a gospel response of love. Let's pray. God, we we confess to you that we